Well, just a, a brief reminder, this morning we do not have uh, kids' connection. We are uh, keeping the kids in with us today. And uh, I, was, I was really reflecting as, as we were singing, uh, especially that last song, I Make My Life uh, an Offering, that, that really uh, through the songs we, we, we are singing uh, praise to God. We, we are making commitments to God. And, and really, in, in a lot of ways, it, that it's, it's kind of like we're, we're throwing up these, these anchor chains. We, we, are, we are throwing them uh, off uh, of the ship. And, and in a normal ship, you know, you, the, the anchors go down and they find their, you know, the bottom of, of the ocean and, or the lake. And that, that's what holds the ship steady. But, but as believers, we, we throw our anchors up. We throw our anchors up uh, into heaven. And it, that, that our anchor is in Jesus Christ. And, and so really what we are, are doing in, in singing is, is we're casting the, the anchors up. And as we go now to God's word, this is really where the anchors land. This is where they are to stick. And it is, is putting together what we say with our lips and now what we hear uh, with our ears, that this would come together um, and, and really lock in uh, our hearts, that our, that our anchors would be firmly uh, in Christ, that, uh, that the time that we have together this morning would, would really um, make an eternal difference. Uh, another Sunday isn't just another Sunday. It's a Sunday where we are, are more deeply rooted in Christ. So I invite you to, to pray with me as we go to God's word. Heavenly Father, as we open up your word this morning, I ask that you would open up uh, our eyes to see the truth. Open up our eyes to give us faith to believe what we see. Open up our ears that we would hear you speaking to us by your spirit through your word. Open up my mouth that I would faithfully declare the message that you want us all to hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, you can grab a Bible out of the chairs in front of you, and you can follow along with us on page 978. Page 978. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, 
created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Have you ever taken time at, uh, at a mall or at the fair or an airport to just watch people walk? We, we kind of draw conclusions about people based upon the way they walk, don't we? You, know, you have like the jock. You know, or, or the gangster. Walking heavy. You know, there's the person who's like very uptight. Got places to go. People to see. And then there's like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. How you walk says something about you. And the, the Bible uses walking as a metaphor for living. Like the, that how you walk is how you live spiritually. That all throughout the scripture, there are paths that are laid out for us. As the people were preparing to go into the promised land, Moses says to them, choose you this day. Choose life or choose blessing. The, the path of life or the path of uh, of cursing. Uh, that, that in Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, said, Broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many are they that find it. Narrow is the road that leads to life, and few that are that find it. Hear this in, in Ephesians 4. Paul is talking about the way that we walk. And there's been three chapters of, of God's grace, God's amazing, magnificent grace that he has poured out uh, onto us. His, his kindness that is uh, an effective kindness that shapes us into a certain kind of people, his people. And that works itself out now in the way that we live, in the way that we walk. And so chapters four through six is a description of, of this is what it looks like to walk as a result of having received God's grace. That God is a good father who teaches us, his children, how to walk. And as, as I was thinking about this week of, of the two different ways that are presented to us. How to, how to really kind of capture what is the, the difference in, in the walks that, that we have to choose from and in, in the paths that are laid out for us. And I thought of the difference between the runway, like the fashion runway in New York or in Paris where the flash bulbs are, are going off and, and the the models are, are displaying the, the latest fashions. And, and, and all that's symbolized in that, the, the, the fame, the, the success, the, the, the fortune, that the this is what it means to, to be at the top and symbolized for us in the runway. And then there is almost the, the opposite of the runway. There's the mountain trail. The, the trail that, that's very unassuming. It, it's not glorious at all. That you know, it, it may be trampled grass or dirt or, or scattered gravel. That 
Whereas as, as the runway is, is something that, that is, is attractive uh, to many people, the, the, the mountain trail is really an invitation to, to sweat, to achy muscles, to tired feet, that, uh, that you know, the, uh, there's, there's many people taking pictures of those who are on the runway and, and on, on the mountain trail, you face dangers from uh, wild animals from annoying insects. And yet there, there is a difference in the outcome of, of these two paths. And, and so I, I want to see how this is laid out for us this morning is, is the, the life-stealing runway of verses 17 through 19 contrasted with the life-giving trail that we see for us in, in verses 20 through 24. And, and look at how the life-giving trail beats the life-stealing runway every single time. Now, first of all, the, the life-stealing runway. We see this described for us in verses 17 through 19 as Paul begins by saying, Now I say this and testify in the Lord. We, we see here a, a reminder that anytime we come to Scripture, we are coming to human words. Paul is saying, I'm saying this. That we have letters written by real people, Paul, Peter, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke. But anytime we have, we have these words in Scripture, we are not just reading human words. We are reading the Word of God. Paul is saying, I'm not just saying this. I am testifying in the Lord. What I'm saying to you is what God is saying to you. What I'm saying to you this morning is the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. God's word to the Ephesians, God's word to us is this. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. When Paul uses the word Gentiles here, he's using a a word that is just translating a Greek word, ethne, which is translated in in other places, nations. It's a way of just talking about the world apart from God. That Paul is, is saying, do not walk the way the world walks. The Apostle John in 1 John 2 verse 15 says, do not love the world. Do not love the world. Do not walk as the world walks. Why is that? These instructions are are coming out of Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, verse 15, as he says about his disciples, as he says about us, they are not of the world. We don't belong to the world. To be saved by Jesus is to no longer be a part of the world system. And because we are no longer part of the world system, we must no longer walk the way the world walks. And we see that the, the, the problem with the world is, is not primarily an external problem. See, when, when he says here in verse Uh, 17 he says you must no longer walk as the gentiles do we would expect that he's going to say don't do these things these are the activities that you shouldn't do and and paul's going to get to that but but he goes somewhere else first because he he knows it's not enough just to to focus on the fruit if you have a yard that's full of dandelions 
It doesn't do any good to just fire up the lawnmower and just mow over the tops of the dandelions. You'll get rid of all of the blossoms. You'll get rid of all the yellow flowers, but you haven't really gotten rid of the weeds. It doesn't even do any good to get on your hands and knees and just start pulling up fistfuls of leaves. That the only way you're going to get rid of the dandelions is to get at the root. And so that's what Paul is doing here is he's saying we have to start at what the root of the problem is. What is the root of the problem in the way that the world walks? And the root of the problem is an inner problem. There, there's actually three parts to it. There, there's a mind problem, there's, there's a heart problem, and then there's a will problem. And they're all related because they, it starts with the mind. Look at that there in verse 17. As they say, the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. That wrong walking starts with wrong thinking. If you're not thinking right, you're not going to live right. And the particular quality of the mind of the world is that it is futile. The word that's translated futile here shows up all over the, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And as it's used throughout the Old Testament, what we find is, is that feudal, the feudal mind is, is really a worthless mind. That, that it's ultimately empty. That in, uh, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 5, God is calling to his people. He, he said, you have gone after worthless things. You, you have pursued things that are empty. The, to talk about uh, the futility of the mind is, this word futility is also translated uh, idolatrous or idols. From the belly of the whale uh, or the fish, Jonah cries out to God in uh, Jonah 2 verse 9. And he says that those who cling to idols, and it's this word futility, that the idols of the Old Testament are futile. And then all throughout the letter of the book of Ecclesiastes, all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, the whole subject uh, of uh, futility is addressed, that, that futility mean, is meaninglessness. It is life lived apart from God. You know, oh, we face many threats uh, here in our culture. You know, there, there's definitely been a rise uh, of atheism in our culture. But the real threat that we face is not from atheism. The real threat that we face is from secularism. And, and secularism does not deny God exists. Secularism says God is just ultimately unnecessary. Secularism doesn't deny God. Secularism ignores God. And that is the way that the world lives. The world lives ignoring God. And so what we see happening in, in the mind is there in verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. That when you pursue worthless thoughts, when you set up idols uh, in your mind, you, you are pursuing other things 
as the object of your worship, when you try to ignore God and live life apart from him, what happens is that your understanding becomes darkened. What is light now becomes dark to you. You're walking around in the darkness and you've actually cut yourself off from true life, alienated from the life of God. This is what happens when your thinking is not right. When you walk in a way that your thinking mirrors the world. The world's, we should not walk in the thinking of the world. Where's your head at? What's on your mind? See, the second problem is that the mind problem is related to the heart problem. There's a heart problem. Because why is it that, that the thinking has gone off the rails? Why has it gone sideways? Because in, in verse 18, because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. That there's a thinking problem because there's a heart problem. The heart problem is, is that the heart is hardened. And a hard heart is a dead heart. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now God promised his people in, Exodus, in Ezekiel 36, verse 26. He said, I will remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. The, the, the reason why that the, the mind of the world is, is empty and dark is because their hearts are dead. That, that they don't feel right. Look at that verse 19. They have become callous. A hard heart doesn't feel properly. It's, it's become callous. And, and the thing that, that makes this so dangerous is that we live in a world where the world tells us that we need to follow our feelings. Are you a boy or are you a girl? Are you a man or are you a woman? What do you feel? That I've fallen out of love with you. My feelings are not there. That, we are, we're, that our feelings are, are lifted up as ultimate. But, but what we see here is that the problem with walking in the way that the world walks is that they don't feel right. They're calloused. Where is your heart? What is driving your, your feelings? See, when, when the mind is darkened, when the, when the mind becomes worthless and the heart doesn't feel right, it becomes calloused, it leads to a will problem. A will problem. Because what happens next, verse 19, they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. The, a futile mind and a callous heart produces a greedy will. That even though the, the heart has become calloused, it doesn't feel right, there's a chasing after the senses. Sensuality. Sensuality is unrestrained behavior. That oftentimes 
sensuality is in the area of sexual immorality. Just, uh, just completely following the impulses of our bodies, the impulses of our passions. The, the, the internet is an, an amazing uh, piece of technology and, and that we have a, a incredible ways of accessing the internet, but that has poured gasoline onto the passions of sensuality, that there has been a, an explosion of pornography that is degrading to women it teaches men selfishness and it just destroys lasting bonds in marriages. That when your head's not on straight, when your heart isn't feeling right, your will actually is no longer freed. Because look at what this says it says they have given themselves. This word given themselves up is a word that's used to talk about handing over a criminal to the authorities. It's a word that, that's used to describe Judas kissing Jesus in betrayal. That this is what happens to the will, is that the will now betrays the person. The will now enslaves the person. You, you, you no longer are free that... You now belong to somebody else, to something else. You see, all of these things, the, the, the mind, the heart, and the will working together are, are really exhibiting that there is a worship problem, a worship problem. That this is the true condition of unbelievers, that unbelievers worship the wrong things. And we become like what we worship. An idol has eyes but can't see, ears but can't hear, hands, feet but can't act. Idols claim great power but actually don't have what they promise. Psalm 115 verse 8 says, Those who make idols become like them, so do all who trust in them. You ultimately become like what you worship. If you worship darkness, you will become dark. If you worship what is, uh, what is calloused, you will lose feeling. If you worship what enslaves, you will lose your freedom. So why would you live this way? Why would you choose a path that leads to, to darkness and, and deadness and slavery? You know, this is, is really kind of what's, what's ultimately ironic about the runway. The fashion runway doesn't go anywhere. That the model gets to the end and, and what? That there's nowhere to go. The model just has to turn around and, and go back. See, there is a better way. It's the, the life-stealing runway can be rejected because there's a life-giving trail. The life-giving trail isn't as glamorous at the beginning. As a matter of fact, it it actually doesn't promise you anything. It calls you to actually sacrifice yourself. That it doesn't promise you ease. It actually is something that's, that's difficult. And yet, 
the mountain trail is so much more rewarding. And Paul offers us what the real life-giving trail is here in verse 20, where he says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Notice how the, the, the emphasis shifts immediately. It's no longer a focus on self. That to, to not walk the way the world walks is to immediately shift the focus away from the self, and now the focus is, is totally on Christ. But look at the grammar here, because this is something that should just really grab your attention. Because verse 20 says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. You see, the first time you read that, you actually probably filled in a word without even thinking about it, because I did it. That's not the way you learned about Christ. But the word about isn't there. It's not there in the English. It's not there in the original language. Because the point is, is that it's not about getting more information. It's not about an empty mind just has to have things put into it. It's, it's not about that, that a heart just needs to, to be given something that is, is different. That it's not about a will needs to be told what to do. It's the, what you need is to actually meet a person. This is what makes the shift. The shift is actually learning Christ. It's not about learning information. It's about meeting a person. It's about relationship. That walking not the way the world walks is, is to actually now have a relationship with Christ. See, this is, is where Christianity is, is just different from any other religious system. Because any other religious system would say, don't walk this way. Don't do these things. You need to do these things. Buddhism actually has an eightfold path, what you're supposed to do. And yet to turn away from the way the world walks is to turn to a person, to turn to Christ. This is not the way you learned Christ. See, you met Christ. You met a person. And, and in meeting a person, here's how it happened. It says, verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. When Paul says assuming, he's saying, since you really did. Paul's saying, I can, I'm just reminding you of what happened in your life. Remember, you heard. Now, now here's where the, the, the translators just couldn't resist. They had an extra preposition. They had to stick it in here somewhere. So they stuck it here, heard about him. But that's not really what's there. In the original language, there's no about. It's just, you heard him. The reason you learned Christ is you heard Christ. That when, when God's word is, is preached faithfully, you're not just hearing about Jesus, you're hearing Jesus himself. That when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you, you are not just hearing somebody else tell you about Jesus. Jesus himself is calling you. And it's, it's going beyond the, your, your ears. It's going into the, the ears of your heart. And, and you hear that internal voice that Jesus' voice himself is calling you to himself. He's saying, trust me. And that's what changes everything. And then you didn't simply hear Jesus you were taught in his presence. You realize that, that as, as we're gathered here, Jesus is not somewhere else. 
We're, we're not simply talking about Jesus and, and he's not in the room. He is with us. You are being taught in the presence of Jesus right now. And, who, and we look to him as the standard of truth. As the truth is in Jesus. Notice, there, there, Paul's intentional here. He's, he's talking about the historical Jesus that, that walked the roads of, of Palestine. From Judea through Samaria up to Galilee and back. That this is how we know what's true. Is we look at Jesus. This is what it looks like to to really walk is the walk that Jesus walked, the life that Jesus lived. And so there's three parts to it. There's three parts that, that this is what it means to have actually met Jesus. This is what it means to have had Jesus speak to you. This is what it means to be taught in his presence. This is how you know that you're on the mountain trail and that the the runway is is far behind you. First of all, verse 22, to put off your old self. There is a a putting off of the old self. Notice that, that this is past. You heard Christ and what did Christ tell you to do? Christ told you to put off your old self. To come to Jesus is to have a part of you, your old life, die. It's put away. Romans 6, 1 and 2 says, Should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. You died to sin. That is something that has happened in the past. It's already done. It's not something that you have to do today. It was already done when you came to Christ. Now live what Christ has accomplished for you. You put off the old self. Live as the old self is dead. The old self is now gone. This is the part that is, is saying no to what? Saying no to deceitful desires. Look at that. Verse 22. Which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Presently, our battle is with deceitful desires that are corrupted in us. That we, that we are no longer who we used to be. Praise the Lord. By his grace, I am not who I used to be. But I still deal with desires that are going to pull me towards that old way of life. And the thing I need to remind myself, the thing I need to tell myself, the thing you need to tell yourself is These desires are lying to me. They are not telling me the truth. That that what is is being offered to me by my desires is, is not reality. These images cannot bring satisfaction. This this money cannot provide fulfillment. Giving vent to my anger will not really bring resolution. These, are, these desires are deceitful. They, they trick us and we need to talk to ourselves. We need to say, no, you're lying to me. That's the putting off the old self. But, but there's another part to it. The second part of, of actually experiencing Christ is verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. 
to be renewed in your mind. That, that the, the mind of, of the world is, is empty and worthless. The heart of the world is callous. It needs to be renewed. And notice it says not renew your mind as if this is something that we have to do. This is something that God does by his spirit. God renews our minds. It's passive. Be renewed. We must simply receive what God wants to do in us, that God wants to renew our minds. 1 Peter 1.23 says, You have been born again, not with perishable seed, but with imperishable, by the living and enduring word of God. We must simply let God's word go into us. Are you spending time with your Bible open, reading God's word, letting God's word go into you, that, that God's word would reframe your mind, that God's word would, would give your heart new loves, that God's word would then strengthen your will. Because that's the third part. Verse 24, to put on the new self. The old self has been done away with. You've been given a new mind. You have the mind of Christ and you have a new self. It's one thing to, to, to put off sin. It's another thing, what are you going to put on in its place? That it's never enough just to say no to sin. We have to say yes to something. You know, you, you've probably heard it before. That you, if I tell you, just don't think about warm, gooey cinnamon rolls. Don't think about that thick icing just rolling off the sides and, and the smell uh, of the cinnamon roll as it just comes out of the oven. Don't think about driving down Garriott to Schlotsky's and Cinnabon and pulling through the drive through and getting one and eating it in the car before you get home. We say, don't think about it. What, what do we do? We automatically, that's where we think. We have to replace that with something greater. That the only way that we can keep the old self put off and the new self on is if we are fixed on something greater. God has given us something greater. Because the new self, in verse 24, is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That the new self is, is not created to simply be a better version of you. Your new self is created to be like God. And so that to, to hear, to, uh, to first of all, to, to learn Christ, to hear him, to be taught in his presence is to have your, your focus turned completely to Jesus. Is, for you, is, are you trying to, to put off anger? Look to the kindness of Christ. Uh, are you trying to, to put off lust? Look to the purity of of Jesus? Are you you're trying to put off greed? Look to the generosity of Jesus. That, that Jesus is, is far greater, far more powerful. He actually can deliver everything that he promises. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So there's two takeaways from this is that what we want is we want to find 
some kind of middle road. Middle road. We want to try to have one foot on the runway and, and, and one foot on the trail. We, we, we want to know that, that we're going to end up in heaven, but we also want to, to live life on earth. It, if you're like me, you just, isn't there like a third road that I could take? One that's not quite so hard, but still will end up where I want to be. And the reminder of this text is there isn't. There isn't a middle road. There isn't a third road. There's only one road that leads to life. And the other road leads to death. That if you've met Christ, if you've heard him speak to you, you can't keep walking the runway road. You can't keep walking that life-stealing runway. To hear Christ, to meet him, means that you must walk the life-giving trail. If you're not walking the trail of following Christ, you have no assurance that you're going to end up where Jesus ended up. The second thing I would say to you is that this, this is not a road that is walked through greater self-effort on your part. It is a road that is walked by coming to Jesus, finding him as the focus of your mind, finding him as the love of your heart, finding him as the strength of your will. That it's in Jesus that we reach where all good mountain trails reach the summit. Where all of the pain and all of the trial is worth it because you see the grandeur from the summit. If you're here this morning and, and you realize that I don't know what road I'm I'm really on. I want to say, be sure that you're on the mountain trail. The trail that gives life of following Christ. You may say this morning, I, I've, been, I've been trying to, to wear high heels on the mountain trail. I've been, I've been trying to live that, that runway life and still say that I'm on the trail following Christ say this morning, turn to Jesus and turn your back on the world. Turn to Christ and find life. Turn your back on those things that will steal life from you. Because in him is where true righteousness and holiness is found. This is where the truth is found and not the lies. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning for my brothers and sisters, my friends who are gathered here. I pray for myself that you would strengthen us and turn our eyes to Jesus, that we would no longer walk as the world walks, but that we would walk as you have created us to, and that our lives would look more and more like our Savior Jesus. 
In his name we pray.